Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Julius Bear's Moving Markets podcast. It's Thursday, the 18th of January, and my name is Helen Freer. Another difficult day for equity markets yesterday. I'll be speaking this morning, first of all, to John T. Warris, who will update us on all the latest market news. Carsten Menke is also on the show today, and I'll be getting his latest thoughts on developments in China and also on iron ore. And Nicola Jordan joins us today as well to update us on the latest news from the CIO office. But we will start with the market news with John T. Good morning, John T. Good morning, Helen. So let's first of all have a look at market action yesterday. It was a pretty rough day for equity markets with many indices posting their third day of losses, right? Yes, it really was quite a frightful day for equities yesterday, Helen. We saw stocks around the globe fall and bond yields rise as traders trim their bets on rate cuts by the Fed following the release of stronger than expected US retail sales data. The S&P 500 and the Nasdaq Composite both lost just over half percent on the day while the Dow Jones Industrial Average dropped a quarter of a percent. Okay, and you mentioned that the main driver for this pessimism was the stronger-than-expected economic activity data releases out of the US. What more can you tell us there? That's right, yes. So US retail sales rose more than expected in December. Sales were boosted particularly by an increase in motor vehicle and online purchases, which kept the US economy on solid ground heading into the new year. Retail sales in the US increased by 0.6% in December, rising at their strongest pace in three months versus an estimated 0.4%. And separate data showed that US industrial production edged up too, also exceeding analysts' estimates. But encouraging US data sounds like good news, no? So what do you think has spooked investors here? Well, it's the rise in retail sales that weakened expectations of the US Federal Reserve delivering an early rate cut this year. This means that the case for a rate cut in March is losing steam, while May is looking more likely as the first month that we'll see a cut, even if markets really are still clinging on to hopes that we'll see an easing in March. So this really wasn't the news that markets wanted to hear. Uh, Fed swaps are now showing the probability of a Fed rate cut in March dropping to just 58% compared to 80% on Friday last week. And by way of comparison, the probability of a rate cut in May stands at 90%. Elsewhere, oil prices are edging higher as OPEC forecast relatively strong growth in global oil demand over the next two years, and as a blast of cold weather in the US has disrupted summer oil production. Uh, Also, we've seen some reports of fresh US strikes against Houthi targets in Yemen, further raising tensions in the Middle East. Uh, And in fixed income markets, the US two-year treasury yields topped 4.33, the US dollar rose to a one-month high, and the VIX volatility index Wall Street's fear gauge hit its highest level since November yesterday. Now, looking at Europe, we also saw some rather lacklustre economic data out of the UK yesterday, didn't we? Yes. So after yesterday morning's UK inflation readings came in higher than expected, which dented market expectations for an early rate cut by the Bank of England, we also saw UK house price index data yesterday, which showed that British house prices fell by the most in more than 12 years in November dropping 2.1% compared with November 2022. So not good news for homeowners in the UK, Helen. Okay, um, let's move over to Asia now. How are markets looking there? Yes, well, perhaps more broadly, emerging market stocks are having their worst start to a calendar year since 2016. And looking at Asia, China is still proving to be a drag on global growth, particularly since its policy measures seem not to be having too much impact. In today's trading session, China's blue chip stock index sank to its lowest level since 2019, 
while Hong Kong's Hang Seng Index touched a more than 14-month low as Apache recovery continues to thrash investor sentiment in the region. And we saw more pessimism out of China yesterday because there was data released by China's National Bureau of Statistics showing that China's population dropped by more than 2 million in 2023. Can you give us some more colour here, Jonti? Yes, so this marks the second consecutive year of decline in population in China. The birth rate fell to a new low and the death rate in 2023 stood at its highest level since 1974. And this fresh data is adding to concerns that China's growth prospects are falling further as its number of workers and consumers drops, while the rising costs of elderly care and retirement benefits are putting greater strain on the government. Uh, And India surpassed China as the world's most populous nation last year, according to estimates by the United Nations. Okay, um, let's talk about the WEF quickly, which is obviously taking place in Davos this week. It's the last day tomorrow. Anything to report so far from there? Well, I think US Secretary of State Antony Blinken summed up general sentiment quite well yesterday when he told business and political leaders that he could not think of a time in his career when there had been more global challenges, ranging from war in Gaza and Ukraine to tensions over Taiwan. And European Central Bank President Christine Lagarde was the latest to pour cold water on bets for rate cuts yesterday when she declared no victory yet and that the ECB will need to hold off on rates until policymakers can be sure that inflation is in retreat. Okay, um, just lastly, John T, what should investors be looking out for today? Well, in terms of economic data, later this afternoon, we'll see US housing starts and US unemployment numbers. The light economic data calendar here in Europe today means that the focus will remain on rates, with the ECB set to release the minutes of its December meeting. And the ECB's Christine Lagarde will speak on a panel at Davos also today. Companies set to announce sales and earnings results include Richemont and Flutter, And the futures board shows that the US equities are looking for a mixed open, largely flat or slightly in the red later today. And that's it from me for today, Helen. Excellent. Thanks very much, John T, for the comprehensive roundup this morning. Thank you, Helen. Now, Carsten, good morning, firstly. Welcome to this morning's podcast. Good morning, Helen. Let's start with a quick look at China. So earlier this week, growth and activity numbers were published. What are the key takeaways there for us? Well, the general growth number for the Chinese economy of 5.2% was in line with the government's target and also our own expectations. That said, as we know, despite achieving the government's target, 2023 proved to be quite a bumpy year, much bumpier than expected. Digging deeper into the economy, we see strength in manufacturing and weakness in retail sales. So Chinese companies seem to be doing fairly well, not least because a weaker yuan makes them more competitive in international markets. Consumers, meanwhile, don't seem to show a lot of confidence, which is due to the weakness in the property market, due to falling property prices, uh, and also paired with the fact, of course, that many are highly indebted. How about investments, which is the segment that's most important for industrial metals? Do we see any signs of stimulus there? In terms of fixed asset investment, we see the strongest growth in manufacturing, modest growth in infrastructure and continued declines in real estate. All in all, uh, this is insufficient in our view to prop up metals demand. Manufacturing investment is the least metal intensive of the three, uh, while the areas targeted by infrastructure investments are mostly metal slight, I would say. So there is some stimulus in infrastructure indeed, which is supporting growth overall. But from a metals point of view, it is not happening in the right sectors. 
And the drag of falling real estate investment is, is weighing the strongest, of course, on metals demand and is likewise mirrored in declining sales and starts of new property projects. And how does the demographic element impact the property market? Jonty touched on it earlier. We've heard mm-hmm. that the Chinese population shrunk by more than 2 million people last year. Yeah. Demographics are a major, a major headwind for the property market. Not only the shrinking population in itself, but also a slowdown in urbanization. And because of this, we see the property market in structural decline in China, which is shaping our view of a structural fall in steel consumption in the years to come. So last year, Chinese steel consumption was down around 2.5% year on year. Steel production, meanwhile, was unchanged, reflecting a rise in steel exports that was supported again by a weaker Chinese yuan in international markets. Iron ore prices, though, actually rallied in the second half of last year, right? So against the backdrop, which I just described and which has been shaping up for most of last year, we very much struggled to share this optimism that was spreading in the iron ore market during the past few months. I mean, actually, we've seen prices as high as $140 per ton uh, exactly around the turn of the year. However, uh, this optimism started to fade uh, as we were starting into 2024, causing a more than 10% correction in prices. And considering sufficient supplies, we believe there is still uh, prices are still somewhat elevated and they should continue moving lower, in particular in the medium to longer term. This is mainly because iron ore is generally not a supply-constrained market. On that note, we've seen some headlines about a major new mine being built in Africa. Do you have any details on this for us, Karsten? Sure. Um, the initial plan for the Simandu mine in Guinea dates back a quarter of a century, in fact, but it suffered multiple delays due to a mix of economic and political factors, also including a military coup. Um, first production of the mine, which will ramp up to an annual output of 60 million tons per year, is expected by 2025. So the news of its construction may have had uh, like a negative impact on the market mood in the iron ore market, but certainly did not impact it from a fundamental point of view. Wonderful. Thanks very much, Carsten. Good to hear your latest thoughts this morning. You're welcome. Thanks very much. And moving over to you now, Nicola. Good morning. Good morning, Helen. So you mentioned last week, Nicola, that external shocks are going to be the main trigger for volatility this year. So how do you prepare for things like this? Can you even? I mean, a shock is by nature a surprise, right? Exactly. As you just said, I mean, external shocks are by definition unpredictable. That's also why we cannot and should also not try to anticipate them by reducing risks in our portfolios preemptively. On the other hand, we can position ourselves for any such eventuality by increasing the liquidity in our accounts to take advantage of an abrupt increase in volatility should such an adverse event suddenly occur. This is why this week we decided to reduce the proportion of allocations to usage hedge funds in our portfolios and to keep the proceeds of these redemptions in cash. Like this, we are prepared in the event of an external shock and simultaneously we profit from the still attractive risk-free returns of money market funds. And apart from external factors, are there any systemic developments that could trigger a drawdown in markets in your view? Well, as you discussed with John T earlier, the market is currently in a position where good news is actually bad news. 
As Jonti mentioned, most market participants are currently expecting a soft landing, with inflation continuing to come down, economic growth to cool, and subsequently central banks starting to cut rates again. Currently, almost six rate cuts are priced in for the Fed as well as the ECB until the end of the year, which is pretty optimistic as we heard. If we were to witness an unexpected acceleration of growth again, this could trigger the central banks to pull back from cutting rates to less restrictive levels. This would then catch the majority of investors wrong-footed, leading to a correction in risk assets. Okay, but this isn't your base case scenario, right? Exactly, especially given that fiscal stimulus will hardly be able to make positive contribution to growth in 2024 after the huge amounts they spent in recent years in the US and Europe. We are, however, very skeptical that we will see six rate cuts in the next 12 months. But even if it will be less, the lack of imbalances in the system and the continuous strength of US household balance sheets should be able to make up for it. Very good. Thanks very much, Nicola, for joining us this morning. Thank you, Helen. So that is all for today. Thank you again to my guest this morning and thank you all for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's show and you haven't yet subscribed, then don't forget to do so. And please also leave us a review on whichever platform you like to listen on. And do join us again tomorrow when I'll be back talking to more of our colleagues about what is moving markets. Have a great day, everyone, and bye for now. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliasbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further other important legal information. Für unsere deutschsprachigen Zuhörer. We would also like to make you aware of Marktanalysen und Gespräche, a monthly podcast in German, where Julius Baer experts discuss some of the latest market developments. We share our key research and insights on today's ever-changing economic landscape in German. Search for Marktanalysen und Gespräche on your favorite podcast player.